Welcome to the Road Home Podcast. My name's Jasmine and I'm the Housing Program Associate at the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, where it is our mission to end veteran homelessness. Join us here each week as we highlight new or innovative developments or housing practices that provide housing options for veterans exiting homelessness. We want to take this time to thank the Home Depot Foundation for sponsoring this podcast and for supporting veterans housing initiatives throughout the country. The Home Depot Foundation works to improve the homes and lives of U.S. veterans, train skilled tradespeople to fill the labor gap, and support communities impacted by natural disasters. Since 2011, the foundation has invested nearly $350 million in veteran causes and improved more than 47,000 veteran homes and facilities in 4,500 cities. For nearly a decade, the Home Depot Foundation has supported NCHV in its mission to increase housing opportunities for veterans and to combat veteran homelessness in America. We will be highlighting some of their work as we talk about various affordable housing developments throughout this series. If you would like to learn more about the Home Depot Foundation, visit homedepotfoundation.org or search Home Depot Foundation on social media. All right, you guys, the theme for this episode is veterans housing in the making. And this week we're talking about a much needed, very unique property by the name of Liberty Square, and it's located in Stockton, California. Now the property began construction very recently and is being developed by visionary home builders. It's a $32 million project with 74 units. And what the developer is hoping is that they will deliver a property that's 100% targeted at veterans, veteran families or veterans exiting homelessness. Though at the moment, this is still being worked out and does have to be outlined in your tenant selection preferences while you go to apply and secure funding. And it does again have to be clarified before you allow residents to begin applying. Now the property is being developed in an opportunity zone and it utilized low income housing tax credits, neighborhood stabilization funding, bond financing, and is actively seeking out project-based voucher allocations at the current time. So this property is unique and I thought it was very important to include an episode like this where the development is kind of still in the works. This property has been in the making for five long years. You will again hear this idea of securing funding, the multiple rounds of applications necessary to really line up those financing structures and that being a major stalling point for construction. Um, But good news, in the second part of this episode, you will hear um, from the state of California and you'll hear that they're kind of working to actively address this issue. Something we'll briefly discuss in um, the first part of this episode is the pre-development costs and how those can start to stack up as developers are lining up funding and working to get the projects off the ground. And these fees can start to stack up while the city of Stockton does have a fee reduction program in place for affordable housing. It's still not a fee free zone. Um, So developers and this developer specifically um, will explain they still can incur up to $2 million in fees while going through this process. You'll hear about where the developer has secured several sources of funding, not necessarily specific to veterans, but because of their passion and preferences outlines, um, they're pushing forward to deliver this property for veterans. You will hear again this reoccurring theme of how sought after those housing vouchers are, especially the project-based vouchers, um, so developers can offer long-term supportive and affordable housing for veterans. 
The intention is to deliver not only a site that has affordable housing units with a preference for veterans, um, but also offers key services and veteran-specific supportive services on site. They have a first floor mixed use um, portion of their development, which is 10,000 square feet. They plan to build an office for Catholic charities and a Head Start program office. While the city of Stockton was unable to participate in this discussion because, as they said, the property is not approved as veteran-specific housing at the current time, they did acknowledge that the developer is pushing forward to try to deliver units that do include this preference. This would be a good time to remind listeners that while the developer may have outlined a preference for veterans, that does not absolutely mean that those units become occupied by one. It means that if several applications were received for the same unit, or for a same share of units within this total property, then a veteran would be given preference over other applicants. Um, I also wanna take this moment to challenge developers, property owners, and managers to push forward with your vision, whether or not you're able to secure project-based vouchers by accepting a veteran with a tenant-based voucher, you can still end a veteran's homelessness. And if you outline this preference um, for your overall rental selection criteria, Um, in your funding applications, then everybody wins, though it's not the same level of assurance and guarantee that project-based vouchers do offer, especially with vacancy loss and that long-term, you know, balancing out the supportive services and being able to um, maintain your financing structure. You are um, still able to occupy your units with veterans with a tenant-based voucher, um, and you should be actively you know, accepting this type of rental proposal. Veterans are out there and they're actively looking for housing um, and they have tenant-based vouchers in hand right now. So though project-based vouchers are not available to everybody and they are super competitive, by accepting tenant-based vouchers from a veteran, you are still able to participate in this goal to end veteran homelessness. And we have a lot to cover today, guys. In the first part of this episode, we'll talk to Carol Ornelas, the CEO of Visionary Home Builders, about where the property is and getting it to this point. And then in the second part of this episode, we'll talk to John Pinkower, the managing director at CSCDA, and he will be talking about bond financing for the project. And we have a lot going on in this interview, and it sounds so much more complex just because it is that. It is very complex. They're trying to do something to benefit the community community at large in one space. They know the community and they know the needs and they also see veterans and ending veteran homelessness as a priority that everybody should be paying attention to and playing a part of in their communities. Y'all have heard a lot about tax credits throughout this series, and I wanted to talk about bonds because we haven't yet done so. Um, But one point I want to make is that it's important that non-homeless veteran-specific funding be directed in a way that does benefit veterans' housing. After this interview with the developer and over bond financing, you will be thinking the exact same thing, and you'll understand a little bit better about what I'm talking about. It's a lot going on, you guys, so let's dive in. Well, good morning. I'm Carol Ornelas, and I'm the CEO of Visionary Home Builders, and I've been the CEO for over 34 uh, years here in the Central Valley, and our mission is to develop affordable housing for very low-income low, um, uh, families, individuals, seniors. Uh, throughout the Central Valley and the foothills. To date, we have built over 1,000 single-family homes and 
Uh, we own 1,500 doors of multifamily units, and that's across the Central Valley. Oh, wow. Wow. That is really, really cool. California in general, too. I mean, y'all are just like light years ahead of some other states, you know, in this. I think it was the governor who pushed really for that that developing um, state lands. So yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. You know, uh, cost of construction is so expensive in California. We got to do something if we're going to be able to have um, low income families. And not just low income, I really talk about this a lot that we need to make sure that we build housing across the board. With COVID, you know, we definitely, you know, the highlight of such a shortage of housing where, you know, you do have people in home that are homeless. They really could afford to be in a home if there was housing available. Right, right. So many people slipping through that. Um, really. Right, right. I'm kind of hoping that same thing too, that COVID and some of the other political stuff that's going on right now will bring some of that attention back to just like how critical housing is for every individual, you know? You know, for a couple of administrations, you know, housing just never was the forefront mm -hmm. about talking about it. You know, I think that everybody assumed that the market would take care of it, but if, the, if, they, if they it doesn't pencil out for the market, you're not going to do it. And mm -hmm. Definitely with affordable housing, there has to be an element of subsidy. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's one thing we've learned, I guess, doing this whole series. We try to highlight a lot of projects um, that offer like a unique perspective or some unique financing or just, you know, the city was really on board or a redevelopment of an overall, you know, community and, and try to share with our members like that. We need all these different types of projects. We need all these different types of funding. And we also need so many different layers of support to get developments like this done um, because, it, you know, one person can't do it. <laughs> And that truly is a, a statement for discussion. You know, uh, this finance layering um, takes so long because every source of dollar out there is competitive. Mm -hmm. So if you win one um, source of funding, doesn't mean that you're going to get the next funding. And to me, I'm supporting, hey, let's do this universal. If you qualify for one and you, you shout it out that going to need all these other different resources let's put it in so that we get housing built faster right but, you know a lot of these NOPAs only come out once a year and so if you don't get it and you receive money from another pocket of government mm -hmm. uh, you're sitting there that whole year holding on to a project and nobody wants a thought process <laughs> you know oh I'm thinking about building this by the time you get to the funding piece of this, you have to have design, you have to have entitlements. And so before you even can submit, you're into these projects two, three hundred dollars, three hundred thousand dollars. And that's not including the land, that's just getting you through entitlement and design before wow. you can even say, Hey, I have a project and it's ready to go. Wow. You just can't Going to a funder and say, I'm thinking about doing this. Mm -hmm. Will I get funding? No, you got to be ready to compete. Right. And everything is a competition. Right. And I don't think that's the best way to get housing uh, done. I, I think for the first source of money that you do compete, but after that, if you ask for all these 
different layers to make it work, that there should be a process that we get it. Right. All of them. Because uh, I know one of the questions that you have here, you know, how long have you been working on this project? Five years. Wow. And I've had rejections where, you know, I submitted and I didn't get the funding, yet I had the sources of funding. And uh, programs like home, if you don't start construction, you know, they take away the funding. <laughs> so you're at square one to go, you know, it just, it, it's just not easy to make sure the deal can happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's not fair to anybody's credibility. You need to understand the competition that's out there and what it's going to take uh, to get the project off the ground. That's one of the things that's so impressive, I guess, from hearing from different developers and hearing from you guys and like some of the other projects we've highlighted, but just off the the podcast series, um, speaking to developers one-on-one about, you know, just being curious about stuff that's in the works is like, they really have to be committed and stick with it for years and years and years to get these projects to the finish line. And I don't think people really hear that side that much you know what I mean we hear the the funding side where people are saying we need more funding to build affordable housing we need this we need that and it's like hearing this perspective from the developer I think has really shed some light on that process and how crazy how many years it can take and how many different applications and and just I don't know years really and you're hearing that yes and Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that when you finally get there that you're made whole you know, we've had to write off expenses because each time that you apply for these different resources, it may not mean that they will cover previous expenses. So, oh, wow. you know, it's um, it's a it's the job of the heart. Right, right, right. It really takes that commitment. That I didn't actually realize that, but that is an interesting, um, I guess factor that plays into it too because if you're you're spending years and years trying to align your financing but you're occurring expenses the whole time then yeah it can really start to add up after people understand costs you know mm-hmm. we live in a world of myth a lot of times not facts or data mm-hmm. um you know take for instance this project here it costs 32 million dollars and people will say well you know that means that's four hundred thousand dollars a unit, mm-hmm. and um, the answer is yes. <laughs> but you have prevailing wage on top of this. You have um, the um, the title uh, twenty four work, the tax credit, what they want in these. They don't realize that we're not building uh, just studios or one bedroom because the market's very used to. Uh, ones and twos, studios, ones and twos. Mm-hmm. In the affordable development, we build anywhere from studios to four bedrooms, and sometimes if a community needs even larger than four bedroom uh, unit apartments, that's being built. Mm-hmm. And they're not boxes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our um, three bedroom, you know, is 1,200 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty big size and that's not one bathroom, that's, you know, two bathrooms. And so, you know, as the unit gets bigger, it also becomes more expensive. And then fees, fees that you have to pay to build a project in, um, I know in my community, our 
very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. Yes, they do uh, reduce some of the fees, but that doesn't mean that they reduce them down to zero. Right, because right. if they did, that would mean, oh, we, we didn't need to spend $2 million on fees before <laughs> we got off the ground. Right, right. Well, that's good. That's great. I think it's a great segue. I definitely want to get into some more of the nitty gritty about this Liberty Square property. So our viewers will be or our listeners will be somewhat familiar of like where the property is. It's in downtown or midtown Stockton area. Um, and I am aware that it's a mix of units and kind of um, I've, I've seen mixed stuff about what the actual breakdown is. So will you jump into, I guess, if these units are, are they set aside certain portions for supportive, certain certain portions for veterans, or how is the unit breakdown? Well, there's 74 uh, units in this community, mm -hmm. and we're um, we don't have a set amount. We would hope that 100% of our units uh, do uh, go to homeless veterans, veterans, veterans with families, because we are building everywhere from zero two, three-bedroom units. Mm. And when we were designing this, we were working with DAV, Disabled American Veterans and Catholic Charities. And what we were trying to do is, you know, if you think about our military um, folks, you know, they, they all live together a lot of times, you know, and they're a community. So we wanted to create a community where the veterans all that they are at home. And we know one thing about our veterans is that they take care of each other. They've learned to take care of each other. And so that's the type of security that um, we wanted to um, have for our veterans in our community. Right, right. And then sometimes people don't understand. Sometimes a veteran, another family member is taking care of them. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely... We wanted to make sure that uh, family members were able to live in our community as well. Um, but it's so important to think about, I guess, the bigger um, bigger family size. And then also there's a lot of veterans, like you say, that slip through the cracks that uh, do have families that, you know, if they maybe had a support network or had neighbors and, you know, some some kind of root holding them into the community that they would be more stable in their housing. So I think that's definitely a great point to consider. So we had this type of conversation with the DAV and mm -hmm. also visiting other um, other veteran projects. I know traveling to California, I was really, really taken back by a community that I visited. And they were all women that were uh, uh, discharged from uh, one of the armed forces, mm -hmm. uh, and they were all single mothers. But mm -hmm. they were kind of like in limbo where they didn't get a dishonorable discharge they got or an honorable discharge. They're in limbo. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these women, you know, had um, problems in the military, you know, whether it was rape mm -hmm. or whether it was um, some action with uh, a, a ban. Mm -hmm. And... They were the ones let go. They became pregnant and they were let go. And to listen to the stories, you know, it's very, um, it was very heartbreaking to see um, this, these women in this community um, 
that considered themselves veterans, which by all rights, you know, I believe that they were mm-hmm. veterans and had served their country and they deserved housing. Mm-hmm. So we really tried to make sure that we weren't patronizing, that we were really listening to folks as to what the need was um, for our veterans and our community. Mm-hmm. Right. So important. I think definitely, especially coming from an advocacy space, and most of our members will be, um, you know, in, in, involved in advocacy work. And it's, you, I don't know, it seems like once you voice um, the need for one type of thing, people jump on that and they're like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. You know, so it's nice to hear multiple voices and be like, you know, well, we do still have to consider other needs that may not be as well met across the board. And we need these units that are big enough for families. We need these units that are big enough for caretakers and um, having multiple people per household. So I think that's so important. Um, was your decision, I guess you said you were involved with DAV. Was it something that just um, came out of your personal experiences or like how did this property even wind up becoming um, geared toward or inclusive of veterans? Because I know it's part of an opportunity zone, right? In Stockton, it was already a target area for development, but did you guys kind of come up with the idea on your own or how did that that start? Well, we definitely came up with the idea of our own opportunity zones have only been around for a few years. Mm -hmm. And this one was already well thought out before an opportunity zone um, uh, came about. And one of the things that we have found is that opportunity zones are very hard uh, to figure out on the multifamily arena how, you know, you've got to pay back that money. Mm -hmm. So how do you pay it back when you're, you know, you're um, looking at these long-term commitments of over 55 years of ownership and, you know, the rents are very low uh, because you're serving uh, folks between 30 and 60% of medium. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to figure out how you pay somebody that invests that only wants to be in 10 years mm-hmm. uh, when you're doing a multi-family housing project and h- how compatible is it with your investors when you, when you're doing tax credit projects. Right. Right. Meshing all of their, their individual needs and wants and priorities with yours and the community's needs and wants. Um, so our, our, audience will be somewhat familiar with the tax credit application process. And I know um, California has some programs that are unique to their state and maybe Stockton has some that are unique to Stockton, but what other financing outside of the um, tax credit equity? And then also we discussed bond financing for this property and in the previous interview. So um, what other financing was used on top of that? Well, this has many layers of financing on it. The first, we have neighborhood stabilization. Mm-hmm. It came out of the foreclosure of 2008, and the city of Stockton had some neighborhood stabilization since this was a foreclosed property. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't vacant land. This is an adaptive reuse. It was actually a commercial building that we're transforming it from uh, commercial uh, office space to uh, multi-family housing. In fact, we're adding a third floor to the building. Oh, wow. Um, so we have uh, the, the neighborhood stabilization. We have um, ASAC money, which is uh, the Affordable Housing and Sustainable uh, Communities. That's a HCD program. And um, 
we did this uh, in partnership with the city of Stockton. Mm -hmm. We applied to the state, and in here, um, we had to make it a sustainable community. So around the community, we're improving sidewalks, we're walking, uh, bike lanes will be in front of the, uh, our community that will take us from Harding Way to Minor, which will connect to another one of our projects that's in downtown Stockton, but we're, um, we're creating um, these walkable spaces. And then uh, transportation was uh, part of the ASAC um, uh, greenhouse uh, gas reduction. So that's what the ASAC program is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, we did a hybrid. Oh, wow. Let's, let's just make everything complicated. So in this project, we have a 9% and 4% mm-hmm. tax credits. So those are two different projects because, you know, potentially there could have been two separate investors and we were actually able to get one investor that uh, took both the 9 and the 4% and then the bond finance. It always blows my mind, I guess, the process that it takes to secure the financing, but also what sort of um, elements of the project you have to kind of not play up, but that you have to maybe adjust to qualify for the different financing streams. So that was something that drove me to be so interested in this project because it's not only housing, it's a redevelopment of a space um, and it's kind of adds those neighborhood improvements that you described. So Part of this development, you know, is to bring the services in. Mm-hmm. Catholic Charities is one of the um, organizations uh, chosen by the VA to help with homeless veteran housing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to be moving into our building. We will provide them office space. We have 10,000 square feet of office space um, to bring uh, service in, into there. We are hoping to bring behavioral health into um uh, the space as well. Um, we have a Head Start facility mm-hmm. um, that um, we will work with early education for the families that uh, do move into the community. So we have a gamut of services that will come in that charities will bring in and then other nonprofit organizations. Wow, wow. So, yeah, addressing everybody's needs in one space is, you know, the housing is one thing, but then also the supportive services and being able to access um, some of those support networks like we were speaking about and even connectivity to the rest of the city is so important. To the community, all of their veteran uh, programs that they're administering right there centrally. Wow. Wow. All in one space. (laughs) Right. Right. So I have one question. How did you guys come to own this building? And was the natural idea to sort of create this mixed use, definitely affordable housing project? Or how was it? Was the city's uh, request put out for this space? Or how did you guys actually? This is is something, you know, we're developers. We're always looking for Mm -hmm. land or we're looking for uh, existing apartments. Mm -hmm. And this building is actually down the street from us. And we just Mm -hmm. knew that. you know, we could do something better. I think they've tried for a hundred years to make it a successful office building, but it pretty much sits in a residential area. So it was pretty probably hard 
uh, for such a large space to make it work as office space. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just had the vision, mm-hmm. why not convert it into um, housing instead of office space? Right. So we purchased the building out of foreclosure. So I have a question, I guess, to follow up with that was, Obviously, um, you know, the community would be supportive of this kind of project, but sometimes you hear about this process of going back and forth with the community, getting them to understand what you're bringing in, um, how it would benefit them and how it benefits, you know, whoever you're serving at the property site. I think for us, we've been in this community for such a long time, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to brag a little bit. <laughs> I think we developed some of the most beautiful, affordable housing uh, for families. Um, I know personally, if I can't live in it, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to, I don't want any part of it. Right. And that means, you know, I want to make it beautiful because I like beautiful things. Right, 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 right. right. I mean, that's so important though, too, I guess, to see a local developer and, and know that they have other successful projects in their communities. Um, it makes you, I, I guess, more receptive to them redeveloping in your area. Um, I guess just a final question to close us out here. Um, you've talked a little bit about some of the challenges with lining up the financing and then um, just, you know, the multiple years it can take to kind of line up the um, the idea for the project, but also the funding. What other big obstacles or challenges were you guys encountering in getting this project to the point that it's at? I still have one place where, you know, I've got everybody working on it, and that is to secure some bash vouchers mm-hmm. for our veterans. Mm-hmm. Are you have you guys actually begun development or when will oh, you yeah, we're six months into development. At oh, the same wow. time next year mm-hmm. there will be seventy four units. So definitely uh, the first of the year we're gonna start preparing our veterans. You know, we've already had our a meeting with our veterans and um, our veterans supportive services mm-hmm. um, to where we broke ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be doing an update here. And definitely, if you drove down the street, you'll mm-hmm. see a lot of construction going mm-hmm. on there. In fact, the third story is already um, uh, well into um, the development. And so, um, you know, there is movement there. It's not something that, oh, yes, we're still closing. We're going to start. No, it's broken ground. It's going to be a reality. And we're very, very excited um, where we're at. And I want our veterans to be ready to move in on day one. Well, we do want to wish them the best of luck, both on their construction and also lining up those project-based vouchers. The last information I was able to find was that they were trying to negotiate terms and come to some sort of agreement with the housing authority. And we're very excited about the projects and we just look forward to seeing the project when it's completed and, you know, hope that we can get to a point to where this process in general is just easier. Something that's a little tricky about securing vouchers and it is a decision largely left up to the housing authority but I do agree it's a shame that they are so competitive like much of the other affordable housing finance streams and one thing I hope to clear up as the series plays out and revisit down the line is the process necessary to secure those project-based vouchers and also the housing authority's discretion in their decision making Obviously, we want developers and the housing authority to work together in the best ways possible to meet their own needs but to also meet the needs of our veterans I know you guys get it by now just how complicated affordable housing finance is. And in the second interview, I hope to clarify some of the mystery around bond financing for affordable housing development. 
The developer used this funding alongside Litech to support the Liberty Square project. And I know you guys probably have a lot of questions, so let's go ahead and get into part two. My name is John Penkower. I'm Managing Director uh, with CSCDA, which is the California Statewide Communities Development Authority. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Um, and so will you just briefly, I guess, explain to our listeners what your role is um, and the function of you guys's, I guess, department and uh, who you guys might closely work with at the state level? So CSCDA is a joint powers authority and we issue bonds, tax exempt bonds on behalf of our members, which are comprised of 530 cities and counties throughout California, um, pretty much all of them. And CSCDA was created back in 1988 by the League of California Cities and the California State Association of Counties um, to provide innovative financing programs for um, their constituent members. Um, CSCDA has issued uh, north of $65 billion in bonds since its inception, and we have a variety of different financing programs. We issue bonds for tribal and three nonprofits. We have a very large, uh, robust, affordable housing bond program. We do infrastructure financing. We have a new market tax credit program uh, for eligible projects in low-income areas. Um, we do property assessed clean energy bonds and, and uh, a number of other programs for both public agencies and private entities. Mm-hmm. So I guess let me ask you first, is it unique but, uh, to have all of the counties in the state of California on board? And like y'all's organization seems like something unique to California. So without getting too, I guess, in the weeds with the history of it, is this something that is unique to California? I wouldn't say it's, it's unique to California. There, there's different uh, ways of, uh, you know, uh, providing economic development in different states. Joint powers authorities are, are common in, in other states. In California, they're, they're pretty common. Um, to give you an example, so certain large cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, they may have their own housing authority or their own bond uh, issuance programs. Um, but for the remainder of the state, uh, they're, they're not really equipped to do that. And so the JPA serves that function to be able to provide these financing tools uh, to, to cities and counties. Awesome. Okay. Makes sense. So I guess um, let's go ahead and jump into some Q&A. For the Liberty Square development, um, will you just introduce our listeners to how CSCDA actually supported this development specifically? Sure. So affordable housing bonds, this specific program is relying on federal and state subsidies. Basically, an application is made to the state in order to get bond allocation and low-income housing tax credits. In order to do that, you need a bond issuer. And so uh, the city of Stockton could have done that. They they choose not to. They work with us uh, on their behalf. And uh, so that's how we were brought into the transaction to be the applicant for the bond allocation and then also to be the government entity that issues the tax exempt bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, the first we first became aware of this project um, when it was called Hunter Street Apartments back uh, a few years ago, I want to say in 2016. 
um, or 17. And um, it went through a few iterations of, of seeking financing, um, always with the same project sponsor, uh, Visionary. Um, but the, the structure changed a, a couple of times. And, and the resulting structure that we closed was uh, this hybrid uh, that had um, the 4% low-income housing tax credits and bonds that we participated in. And then there's another counterpart program, 9% tax credit that we were not a part of, but that was part of the overall financing for the project. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And so for the bond awards, um, how much was actually awarded to the developer? So the project uh, was awarded $13,527,000 for the portion of the project that we were participating in. So we're, as we're a conduit issuer, so Banner Bank was the ultimate bond purchaser. They're actually making uh, the loan. And this was for uh, 44 of the units, 43 affordable restricted units, and then the one manager's unit. Mm-hmm. And so I know our listeners will be pretty familiar with how the low-income housing tax credit program works. Um, And just through this series, we've discussed several other financing sources. So um, they're they're minimally familiar, I guess, with the uh, application process. Is the bond application process similar to those other programs or what actually qualifies the property to receive the bonds? So the... Each state receives a certain amount of bond allocation from the federal government each year. California receives the lion's share, about $4.2 billion, uh, for housing and, and other eligible um, projects. We've been non-competitive in California uh, for the past 13 years until this year, 2020. And we are now in a competitive situation. Um, at the time that uh, Liberty Square was seeking allocation, uh, it was non-competitive. And so if you meet the minimum standards for obtaining allocation, you would get your bond allocation. You have to uh, restrict um, a certain number of units um, for uh, individuals uh, earning less than uh, 50 and 60 percent of the area median income. And that meets the, you know, the federal standard. Um, you have to agree to keep uh, the regulatory agreement restricting those rents. Um, and income eligibility for 55 years. That's the state of California requirement. And so, and there's a number of other um, requirements uh, under the, the state program. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier that CSDA is, is the conduit. So ultimately, a, a private bond purchaser or lender uh, would be involved uh, in, in every transaction. Um, and then we facilitate the process. Uh, there's There's a a law firm called Bond Council that that also participates in the transaction and uh, documents it and also provides a, a um, an opinion that the, the bonds are, are tax exempt. And so just so I make sure I'm following along and then our listeners as well, the bonds are actually funded at a federal level, but every state for the most part, or cities have a managing entity, in this case, CDA, to kind of divvy them up and make sure that the transaction runs smoothly. Um, But they are not sourced locally, like they're not funded locally. They they are funded locally. So the, the bond allocation is authorized by the federal government to each state. Each state goes about it a little bit differently. In some states, smaller states, 
there's just one bond issuer, the state housing authority or the state housing commission. Um, and in other states, they allocate it to all the local governors. So they'll, they'll provide the allocation to different cities. In California, it, there's a agency in the treasurer's office called the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee. Mm-hmm. Its counterpart is the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, and, and those departments are responsible for doling out the allocation um, through an application process. Mm-hmm. So CSCDA is one of the applicants, and it seeks allocation for projects that it is supporting, facilitating, and then you'll have other joint powers authorities, you'll have uh, housing authorities, you'll have individual cities, San Francisco, San Diego, San Jose, Los Angeles, also applying for a bond allocation for projects within their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so that may, that brings me to a couple of different questions, I guess. You mentioned that you guys supported the property through, I guess, a couple of name changes and like structural changes. Um, but do you guys use any sort of measures to determine like you're going to stick with the property or this is, um, you know, a property that we're really going to see through to the end outside of those minimal, um, I guess, constraints or qualifying criteria you just mentioned, like serving low income, um, you know, some, some, do you guys use any other sort of um, process to judge which properties you're going to stick with and support? So as long as an affordable housing project meets all of the state and federal criteria for the program and it meets CSCDA's issuance guidelines, there's not a subjective approval process by CSCDA project either it qualifies or it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. In the case of what was Hunter Street, now, now Liberty Square, um, it, it's, as you may be aware, it's very challenging uh, to get new construction projects um, completed anywhere throughout the state of California. Construction costs are very high. Um, you know, right now, um, the equity pricing is lower than projects might need. They rely on a lot of other different funding sources. So really, the stars have to align to make a, a project feasible. Um, in, in the case of, of this project, they they looked at financing it in a couple different ways. And, the, you know, the ultimate... Uh, structure this hybrid, um, you know, luckily worked out great. And we're, we're really pleased that uh, it got to the finish line and, and shovels are in the ground. Right, right. So, yeah, it, it, we have explored that concept a little bit more throughout this whole series, just kind of like all of the different application processes you have to go through and then the years and years it can take to kind of stack the financing together to complete affordable housing just in general. But um, is bond financing something that might be like the first thing in or does it come later down the line? Is it like more of a gap financing or um, I mean, I guess for other properties that are pairing bond financing with other sources to build affordable housing, like, does that come first in the process? Is this later down the line? It, it comes later down the line. Sometimes we're the last participant. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if there's two different tax credit programs. So when you're looking at financing affordable housing, uh, you're typically looking at either the 9% low-income housing tax program uh, or the 4%. The 9% is always competitive. 
the 4% program now, it is competitive. And, and next year, it's going to look much like the 9% program. If you can get 9% tax credits, there are no bonds. Uh, your financing is all conventional taxable debt. If you're participating in the 4% program and you're seeking 4% tax credits, you have to have bonds that go with them. Um, and then you have to have a certain amount of bonds. There's something called the 50% test. So that 50% of the aggregate uh, basis for the project, uh, including the land, needs to be financed with tax-exempt bonds. So if you know that you're going in for 4% tax credits and bonds, you mentioned gap. Every project, every new construction project has a gap right now. Between the tax credit equity and the bond financing, that's generally not enough. And so you will see other forms of subsidy coming from cities, counties. There's not a lot out there, unfortunately, anymore in the kind of post-redevelopment era that we're in here in California. Um, but, you know, you, you'll see in, in this case, you know, there, there was... There was some additional um, financing provided by the city, which helped the project move forward. Is there anything that geographically ties the bond financing to specific areas? Like you said, um, you guys kind of work at a state level. A lot of counties are part of the membership for CSCDA. But is any of the financing restricted to a geographical area like i know this property is built in an opportunity zone and i read a lot about the project and the focus and um the goals for the city of stockton and their you know their own locally set goals so do you guys have any ties to that sort of um qualifying criteria like is there anything geographically that would mean uh bond financing would support the project over a different geographical area or is it pretty well spread throughout the state that's a good question. So under the 9% tax credit program, there have been both programmatic set-asides and then also geographic set-asides. So that's a way of dispersing the allocation throughout the state. Um, that it's important to do that because of costs. You know, costs obviously in the Bay Area uh, are going to be higher than in other parts of the state. The 4% bond program um, through this year has not had a geographic breakdown of allocation. So all projects would just compete against all of the projects. But that being said, next year, they, the, the SIDLAC board has been in the process over the past six to eight months of revising its regulations for next year. And we are going to see geographic set-asides beginning in 2021 so that a project in Stockton, it would not be competing for allocation against, you know, all these projects in Los Angeles. And so we touched a little bit on using the bond financing and the, the opportunity to use it like along the 4% tax credit program and how some of the other properties, you know, might stack financing to actually bring affordable housing to the finish line. Um, but I guess what I'm hearing and understanding is that you guys don't necessarily control the qualifying elements for it to receive bond financing. That's kind of um, dependent on the the qualifying criteria that's set by the tax credit program and other funding sources. So there's not um, any additional like criteria that you guys might create to determine the bond financing. It's dependent on other programs. So for this specific program, the project needs to 
comply with the rules for bond allocation, SIDLAC. Um, mm-hmm. And so as an application, where we're the applicant, but we're working in tandem with the actual project sponsor. So it needs to meet all of those requirements. Um, for tax exempt financing, um, you'll have, I mentioned bond council, they'll have a, a tax diligence questionnaire. And so they are um, doing their own due diligence that the project qualifies uh, for tax exempt financing. Um, the tax credits, those are being, um, you know, the, that eligibility is being underwritten by the tax credit allocation committee. And then lastly, you'll have a, a, an actual bond purchaser, an underwriter or a lender. Um, in this case, it was Banner Bank and they are underwriting the financial feasibility of the project. Um, if you have low income housing tax credits, you will also have the tax credit investor that's providing that equity. So, there is a quite a layering of different underwriting of the project. So we're relying on all of those parties uh, before projects are approved by the CSCDA commission. Um, additionally, in order for us to issue tax exempt bonds, there's what's called a TEFRA hearing, um, which is a public hearing that's held by the city uh, or the county where the project is located. Uh, and so in this case, uh, the city of Stockton held a couple of those hearings that they're good for a year and just given the timing. Um, so uh, we need that in order to move forward with the financing. And then also that the, the bonds, the debt is being issued in conjunction with CSCDA's um, bond issuance policies. Gotcha. So it, it's quite a, um, it's quite a process, you know, as far as, you know, meeting criteria and, and, obtaining approvals, if you will. Right. Right. In conversation too with our audience and and members of our organization, um, we've, you know, mulled over like several options for us to become more involved in financing or, you know, just voicing where the need is and where um, maybe veterans are being underserved. But it sounds like by being involved in some of those other um, public comment periods, like maybe for the tax credit program, or local comment periods for um, county bond financing, let's say, that that might be a better avenue because at the state level, there's not as many things that are in your power to change. You know what I mean? Like it's stuff that's already set by some of these other uh, qualifications that the property would actually go through. Yeah, I think that's accurate. You know, as far as the state, how they divvy up their $4 billion in bond allocation, that process has been going on for most mm-hmm. of this year, prospectively for next year. Uh, so I don't know if you've participated in any of those meetings or roundtables. Um, now, when they're putting pen to paper on the new regulations, that will be coming out here very shortly. There will be a public comment period um, on those. So I would encourage you to, you know, to get involved with, with that process. Um, we are a political organization. Um, so, you know, we, we participate in that process and, you know, provide uh, input, um, you know, more, more so from a, a technical standpoint on, on the process. There is an opportunity for, you know, different stakeholders to view their opinions on what is the best use of this limited subsidy. Right, right. 
So I feel like that's an opportunity for all of our listeners to get out there and get involved. Um, I have one other question. The affordability period for this property, I read online, is 55 years. So that's um, considerably longer than the tax credit minimum, like 30-year affordability requirement. Um, but I didn't see any rationale for like how that 55 years was determined. So um, how, how was that term requirement decided or who influenced that decision making? That was made by the state in back in 2001, uh, where okay. they, there is a federal minimum affordability requirement. And the state at that point um, changed its regulations to require a 55-year covenant uh, that is put into the regulatory agreements that we and all other issuers uh, record against affordable properties. So, um, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, and I know you might have one perspective, um, but do you have any ideas, I guess, overall, how outside of the public comment periods, we can be of support or kind of voice um, the need for local communities and obviously states to be further supporting developments like this? Sure, I, I, I would encourage you to get in touch with um, Treasurer's Office, Governor's Office, uh, HCD Housing Community Development at the state level. Um, talk to your local stakeholders. I mean, it goes kind of from top to bottom, state level down to uh, you know city council members. Um, you know, there's a whole variety of, of different uh, individuals that uh, would probably want to hear your views and and, and recommendations. Mm -hmm. And any idea of how to just make the process, I guess, smoother or take less time? Because we talked a little bit about it here, layering all the financing and kind of, you know, getting that perfect alignment with the qualifying criteria and stuff can sometimes take years. So um, any ideas for how to make that whole process smoother? So the, the timing um, delays and, and that is being addressed. Um, there has been a movement to better align the different programs. You know, one of the frustrations for a lot of projects has been um, trying to line up all these different programs and subsidies that they all need in order to get a project out of the ground. And so there has been a concerted effort uh, in Sacramento to better align uh, different state programs with TCAC, the tax credit allocation committees, CIDLAC, the debt limit allocation committee, HCD, uh, which provide grants and loans uh, to projects. So that is already being acknowledged and underway. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, that's been one of the common themes, I guess, in, in this series and sitting down with developers and, uh, you know, state finance agencies and stuff. It's just this common complaint that it takes so long because of the different um, application processes and lining up those criteria time and time again. And then if one fa financing falls through, then kind of starting that over. So, um, that, I mean, at least people are recognizing and, and working to change it. Um, I guess I, I was really impressed by this property, not only because it serves veterans, but because it is a redevelopment. And also um, I read a lot about like the income, the mix of incomes and stuff. And so I guess any final word on what other benefits this property specifically adds to the city of Stockton or the neighborhood that it's being built in? Uh, the project's a home run. It's, it's providing, you know, critically necessary uh, new affordable housing in a city where there, there's a tremendous need for um, it. It's helping to redevelop uh, 
you know, uh, a, a part of the city. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're proud of it. I mean, we, we do a number of housing projects every year, anywhere from, you know, maybe 20 to 40 different projects uh, throughout the, the, the state. Um, this one we were rooting for all along the way. As you can see, it took a number of years, but um, I applaud the sponsor's persistence um, in, in uh, you know, leaving no rock unturned and, and, you know, resulting in a pretty attractive overall financing structure. And so we're just uh, pleased to have been a small part of it. Right, right. Well, yeah, definitely an impressive project. And um, definitely thank you for sitting down with us today and clarifying some of that, because sometimes the financing just can be so confusing and I guess overwhelming, especially for the audience we work with, because they want to be involved in communities and see developments like this happening but they're not even sure where to start sometimes. So having these type of discussions really helps like kind of take a step back and understand it from an angle that we're not as familiar with. Um, but yeah, definitely want to thank you for, for sitting down with us. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me to participate today. It's been a pleasure and, and uh, it is complicated. There's a lot of acronyms. There's a lot of different agencies. Um, it, it's not easy to get housing built right now, but, um, you know, the housing crisis throughout the state doesn't seem to be getting any better. And so, you know, again, we just try to do our, our small part in, in moving projects forward. So that was a lot to take in. Um, but what really stands out, this idea, we are not getting away from it, public participation. This concept we're hearing time and time again, um, and the time is now really to go and be involved. You can sit in on listening periods, public comment periods. You can also write in. Um, this opportunity presents itself every year, time and time again at the state, local, county, city level. So we really need to be getting out there and voicing you know, unmet needs for veterans in our communities and where we would like to see a bigger focus on supporting affordable housing for veterans and supporting community development, you know, opportunities for veterans in our local community. A couple of things that I want to touch on as we close this episode is the timeline and the process to deliver projects like this. It's a common theme we're hearing. It's no quick process. And I think the best way to break it up in my mind is just kind of like what the developer had and what the developer needs or needed. Um, what the developer had, such as tools, funding, the process, the elements, things that the developer had working in their favor, and also what the developer outlined as needs or could be, you know, better to, to aid developers in delivering projects like this. First and foremost, the developer had a strong presence in their community and they were really able to see this opportunity, jump on this land or this building as soon as it became available. Um, the developer also has strong connections with the veteran-serving organizations in their community. Um, and as you heard, they have a clearly defined pathway to be able to support veteran services on site. Um, another thing the developer had working in their favor was the city of Stockton actually offers an affordable housing development fee exemption for affordable housing properties within Stockton city limits. Um, it's part of their Opportunity Zone project. And you did hear the developer talk about the struggle to really get through that pre-development process and how some of the costs and, you know, repeated rounds of applications and stuff can start to stack up. So I definitely think waiving these fees outright or reducing these fees is something more cities need to be considering. Um, getting affordable housing passed shouldn't be held up by 
fees um, starting to pile up and really burden the developer. Another thing the developer had was this great partner. And this ultimately resulted in the project being able to be brought to this point. A partner like CSCDA that sticks with you throughout the many years and supports the project through the finish line is so necessary. And now what the developer needed or needs. Um, developers need an easier process. Honestly, just to apply for financing this once a year um, notice of funds availability and multiple applications year over year is delaying the whole process. You just heard Visionary Home Builder CEO mention this in part one. She clearly outlined that the years can start to just roll on by. If you miss the opportunity or are denied financing in one year, you might have to wait till the you know, next calendar year to even apply again. Um, developers need um, and actually, it needs to be easier to secure project-based vouchers. You've heard several developers in this series talk about the perks of having project-based vouchers allocated to their project. So I'm putting the question out there and I'm putting the thought out there. Why isn't more flexibility and more availability given to housing authorities overall to be able to allocate these vouchers more easily and to meet, to meet the needs and demands of developers? And finally, what the developer needs is for compet competitive financing ultimately not to harm them, right? So, you know, competition with other affordable housing developers is good, but we don't want it to be detrimental to the delivery of units. I think some of the competition results in the highest quality housing for people. And obviously, there's a finite amount of resources and funding available. But what we don't want is for it to be so competitive that veterans aren't able to get the housing that they need and the access to housing that they need in a timely manner that they deserve. All the programs in place and the funding in place should further support developers with a dream and a vision like this. If they simply decide that providing housing for veterans, especially veterans exiting homelessness, is something they want to do, then the process to secure the resources necessary shouldn't stifle this plan. Um, anyways, you guys can learn more about the Liberty at Square development or topics we discussed today by checking out Visionary Home Builders um, website. It's visionaryhomebuilders.org. You can also learn more about CSCDA, the California Statewide Communities Development Authority, and their affordable housing finance options by visiting cscda.org. Um, and then I want you guys to take a look at this fee exemption um, from the city of Stockton compared to programs available in your city. If your city doesn't have something available like this, maybe bring it to their attention and say, hey, this could help affordable housing developers in our community. We should be looking at things like this. Check out Stockton's website at stocktonca.gov. Just want to thank you guys so much for joining us this week. If you're curious about this episode or want to learn more about the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, visit nchv.org or search NCHV on social media. The road home may be a long and winding one. However, the journey ends once every veteran has a permanent, stable, and affordable place to call home. Thank you again and see you all next week.